Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast. Before we get to our guests, special shout out to Cruise Consulting. We do all your startup accounting, startup taxes, and tons of consulting work, kind of whatever comes up, like financial models, budget actuals, maybe some state registration, sales tax, VC, due diligence support, whatever comes up for your company, we're there for you. 750 clients strong now, $10 billion in capital raised by our clients. I can't believe it. $2 billion this year. It's been a crazy, awesome year. So check us out at cruiseconsulting.com. And now on to our guest. So when your troubles are mounting, in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise. Founders and friends, it's Cruise Consulting. Founders and friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Jose Answer of Silicon Hills Legal or Lawyer. But also, Jose has a that's that's Jose's passion project. That's He's also blog. a lawyer, yes. Optimal Counsel. Optimal Welcome Counsel to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Welcome, Jose. Thanks. I appreciate it. And I got to say, we just met because you have this incredible blog. And I, I, I think you emailed me or I emailed you. And I was like, holy cow, this guy really knows what he's doing. And uh, so I wanted to have you on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. The, blog, the blog's been, uh, I mean, I've definitely seen lawyers try to blog and fail. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I've enjoyed it for 10 years now. And it's, I've, I've got some great clients that have come through. It's been, it's been a great project. Yeah. Well, maybe tell, just tell everyone about yourself a little bit, retrace your career and, and tell them how you got into that. Yeah. So I guess we'll start with law school. I went to Harvard Law about midway through. I, know, I, want, I knew I wanted to work with startups, took some courses there. I went, my, my, met my wife at UT Austin and she was with me in law school. We actually had our first daughter in law school. Uh, we moved back to Austin. I was at a in typical big law for like two or three years. And then as many lawyers do, decided that it wasn't for me for a number of reasons, including that I think it was just, I, I wanted to try my hand at boutique law because I felt like at a boutique, I, there's much more flexibility to do things differently, you know, step outside of the box. And so I joined, I joined a boutique as a third year. Um, by then my blog was already going and spent about eight or nine years at this boutique building out the practice. I hired most of the partners in that practice, most of the associates. I was this, the legal CTO, so I was responsible for all the legal tech. Eventually became the highest originating partner in that group. And then a little under a year ago, you could call it a spin out, about you know 17 or 18 of us uh, spun out of this boutique and formed Optimal, which is what we've wanted to have our entire careers really. And that, that's, that's, that's where I've landed. That's a great way of saying that you, you were able to build up and then create the exact work environment and the exact client base you wanted over yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, you know, spending 10 to 12 years seeing all the flaws of how law is done. And it's, it's finally kind of a blank slate to try our own, our own paintbrush at it. That's so cool. That's cool. And, and what kind of companies do you focus on? What stage, all that kind of stuff? So it's a corporate, we're a corporate and securities boutique. So, um, you know, everyone knows law is like healthcare. You have so, all these different kinds of specialties. You know, what I do is emerging companies. Um, the vast majority of our, of our lawyers are, are ECVC lawyers, startup lawyers, right? Pre-seed through Series C, all the classic saves, convertible notes, MBCA docs, seed equity. Um, that's what my blog is focused on. We also have an M&A practice for when our clients exit. And then, you know, for, for other specialties that our clients need, because most, most law firms try to provide full service, right? 
um, we have what we call our specialist network, which is, you know, tax, privacy, regulatory, FDA, all that kind of stuff. There's other lean boutiques in those specialties that we kind of collaborate with. And that allows us to kind of replicate the full menu of practice areas that you might get at a big firm, but under a leaner boutique model. It's super, super smart. I know some other legal friends of mine do the exact same thing. And those specialists are often like really, really good because they're super focused. You know, if you bring in a specialist, it's usually someone you've worked with a bunch of times, you know, they're good. You know yeah. They're I, I mean, look, one of the ways, there's a number of reasons, ways we sell ourselves, but one, I mean, part of it is just lower rates, better responsiveness, but there's definitely certain clients that have switched to us from big law. And what they experience is that, you know, you often get on the phone with one lawyer and you like that lawyer, right? And you hire that lawyer. But when they're at a firm that has 40 practice areas, they're like incentivized to cross sell you. And it's like, oh, I'll send you to my patent lawyer, my, because they get origination credit by yep. cross selling. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, right? But yeah, you're right, the, the boutique system we don't get kickbacks for sending you to this specialist versus that specialist. Um, and so we can be much more meritocratic. And I do think that results in better fit lawyers, right? Because we're, we have no reason to push you to X or Y. It's just whoever's going to make you happy. Yeah. And you right? know this, you've worked with this person before and they're vetted, yeah, which is huge. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. And so can you give the URL of your blog and all that stuff out and just talk about that a little bit? SiliconHillsLawyer.com is the blog. OptimalCounsel.com is the is the website of our firm. I'm also pretty active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is Answer J. I've been on Twitter for like since like two L of law school or something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the idea of the blog, you know, has it's like a WebMD for yeah. for founders, right? That there's so much vocabulary and lingo that is just not worth paying a lawyer to teach you if you're intelligent enough to read a few articles and educate yourself. And I think also one thing that makes us pretty unique as a firm is we don't represent tech VCs. So all of our clients are, are tech companies, right? Or CPG, we also do kind of um, consumer packaged goods, food startups because of Whole Foods in Austin, Yeah. right? Um, and so a lot of the stuff that I write about on my blog is sort of things that a lot of the traditional law firms are afraid to publish themselves because it would anger about half of their clients at least right whereas on my blog because i don't represent I, there's no one i care about pissing off right yeah. it's like i can i can speak a little bit more candidly about here are the ways as a founder you should take care of yourself right that's really really good silicon hills you you actually taught me this maybe tell tell everyone what silicon hills actually is yeah i mean when I, when I first started out as a lawyer it's like everything wanted to be silicon something right so silicon alley is new york silicon i remember beach that i remember silicon LA. beach yeah so silicon so austin is the hill country of texas um and so it's it's been called silicon hills and so i created the blog silicon hills lawyer i actually now live in colorado so maybe I should change it to Silicon Mountain or some nonsense, but it's like I've had it for so long that I'm just I'm just running with it, right? Uh, uh, but, but so I, what's but interesting I, is you were telling yeah. me that your client base is like all over because yes. it's a virtual. Well, you know, we, people we find been, you. We've been doing remote since before it was cool. Um, yeah, I, we. I mean, Optimal is a fully remote law firm. And that's one of our sort of advantages that we're just so much leaner on overhead that we can charge so much lower and our lawyers 
I mean, our, our associates make as much as Gunderson's, right? Wow. You know, but, but, but they, they bill at three or $400 an hour lower, but because, yeah. because we're so lean in how we operate. Yeah. Right. We're um, remote too. Yeah. And I love it. And we were doing it before. It was cool too. And yeah, I mean, even just like, just even from a lifestyle perspective of not having to drive my rear end into San Francisco every day and back or Menlo park and back, you know, it's I like, mean, it makes a big difference. It's, it's, and it's huge for recruiting too, because you've got, you've got really elite law. I mean, we're a very high end firm. I mean, our lawyers all come from elite firms and schools and stuff, but the ability to earn what you would make living in San Francisco or New York, but not have to live there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Massive. Yeah. Right. I even yeah. the other thing is this may be you guys, but I see that like we're actually like have a huge East Coast presence, even though the firm was founded in San Francisco. Oh because, yeah, because because it's like there's tons of East Coast accountants that want to work with startups that aren't that don't live in New York, and we're the, we're a venue for them to do that. So I'm sure you guys are benefiting in the same way. Yeah, we have New York, DC. We used to have Boise, although our Boise lawyer is moving to Rome. So he's he's going to work from Italy, which Whoa. is going to be interesting. That sounds good. Um, Austin, Colorado, you know, everywhere, right? Um, but you're absolutely right that the nature of a of a national market being fully remote is, I mean, there's a lot of startups that you know, like they need a, a real ECVC lawyer and accountant, right? And they, but they may be in a location where within a hundred mile radius, there's no one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so why should they have to go with Joe Schmo person? Yeah. I mean, there, there's nothing about what we do that requires us to meet in person. Yeah. Right? Well, it's also like, um, they get away. This is a bigger problem. I see them getting away from, which is like using their uncle's friend or their aunt yeah. or to, to like getting terrible legal advice. And we yeah. see, I, I mean, it's exactly like healthcare. You, you never say, Oh, I'm sick. I'm going to go to some random doctor. It's yeah. well, what do you need? Right? Like yeah. what kind of, what kind of doctor? And so like corporate insecurities is itself a specialty, but emerging companies is a niche specialty of, and so you, you can hire a corporate lawyer, but that corporate lawyer works with healthcare companies and, you know, oil and gas companies and all this stuff. And you mentioned like post money safe with a valuation cap. And it's like, well, well let yeah. me Google it myself. Really the same <laughs> thing. And it, you know, what's interesting for us is I, I was saying where I say the best lawyers want their clients to work with good accountants and the yeah. best accountants want their clients to work with good lawyers because you're, there's a feedback loop in between what you're doing, and what we're doing. And Absolutely. if the company has a bad lawyer, their their cap table gets all screwed up or they get incorporated the wrong way and it affects their tax returns. And so yeah. it's a real issue. And I'm sure it's it's worth we feed back into your guys' work as well. Or due diligence. Due diligence due diligence probably is like so much harder with a bad accountant. You're just trying yeah. to get this deal done and the accountant doesn't can't do the diligence. I mean, I, I wrote a blog post years ago called legal technical debt, right? And it's this like, I mean, you know, technical debt. The I use that too, of, accounting debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you, yeah. You, go, you go cheap on your programming and you start accruing, you know, yeah. except, you know, it's even worse with legal because, you know, the, with contracts, you can't issue a ver version 1.3 over the air unilaterally, right? If there's a bug, 
that bug's permanent often. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, uh, I haven't thought about it from a legal perspective, but it is to totally an accounting thing. People come to us with their accounting all screwed up. And I, sometimes I'll say like, you're going to pay for this a second time. You're paying for like the same exact work we yeah, could have done the you're, first you're time. You're going to pay. I mean, you can, you can pay for it up front or you can pay five to 10 X to clean yeah, it up. Yeah. If exactly. at all it's cleaned up. It, it, exactly. it can, because I've, I've had clients come to me that, they thought they were saving money and something ended up costing them 20 X oh, in dilution. Yeah. Especially right? on the legal side. Oh my God. Well, yeah. so we, when we were mapping out the conversation, there's a few, like we're recording this in, you know, April, 2023. So the market's a lot tougher, but still functioning. There's still tons of companies getting funded sure. and especially at our, the seed series A series B stage. Yeah. It's, it's really the growth stage that's taking yeah. an enormous hit, right? Yeah. I'd, say, I'd say the early stages are still quite active. It's just kind of a reset on valuations. Yeah. 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 I'm seeing the same exact thing. Even like a lot, some of our seeds, not a lot, but some of our seed companies raised at like series B valuations in 2021 or 2022. So, so I mean, I, I saw, I mean, look, I thought the whole market was nuts for about two years, but crypto in particular, I, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. some crypto deals that were literally like, can I just wire you the $5 million and we negotiate the terms later? Like, I mean, it, it reached that level. Yeah. Right? It was crazy. It was, it was, it was pretty crazy. The funny thing about us is the crypto accounting is really difficult and there wasn't great tools for it. So we kind of, we took some crypto companies, but not a ton. And we have some huge ones. We have companies that raised like $500 million or a couple. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say that we're super active in the crypto space yeah. either, although we do, we do have a few pretty, pretty cool companies. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but the actual crypto specific stuff I send to a specialist. Yeah. I, I still do the corporate and security. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. Hey, it's Scott Horn at Cruise Consulting, taking a quick pit stop to give some of the groups at Cruise a big shout out. First up is our tax team. Amazing. They can do your federal and state income tax returns, R&D tax credits, sales tax help, anything you need for state registrations. They do it all. And we're so grateful for all their awesome work. Also, our finance team is doing amazing work now. They build financial models, budget actuals, and help your company navigate the VC due diligence process. I guess our tax team does that too on the tax side, but the finance team is doing great work. And then, you know, I think everyone kind of knows our accounting team is pretty awesome, but want to give them a shout out too. Thanks. And back to the guest. You're, you're seeing similar to us, like an active market still, but we were talking about like down rounds or, you know, what, what are you seeing in the market and how do you walk? But maybe the better question is like, how do you walk your clients through like that decision criteria of like, do they become open to a down round or pay to plays or how do, how do you help them decide how to navigate that? I mean, I think the most important thing I, I often tell clients, I have a blog post called like the, the best round structure is the one that closes. Mm, right. I like that. Uh, and so it's like, you know, founders, particularly engineers can sometimes overthink and, and think about, I mean, you hear this term standard all the time. Well, I, I don't want to go that something that's not standard. It's like, mm -hmm. well, the standard, the standard, whatever it is, it doesn't really exist, but the standard you're thinking about is what's created in an environment that no longer exists. Right. <laughs> you, 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 you need to be flexible. Um, yeah. and so and I would get say company funded. I think that's the, the main thing, like get the money in the yeah. door. Yeah. I mean, the number one thing I'm seeing is there's sort of this question of how, I mean, the market's clearly reset, but the question is for how long and have we hit bottom or what is bottom going to look like? And so there's a lot of worry about like, well, am I choosing the right valuation? Right. And, and on both sides, right. 
the VCs don't want to overpay. They're worried that, you know, they're certainly sort of pushing harder, but they're worried, are they not pushing hard enough? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there and, another and 20% down in the public market? Yeah. And the founders are sort of thinking like, well, what if I wait this out? Can I last? And so I'm seeing sort of a desire for more flexibility, both on the upside and the downside. Mm. Right. And so that desire for downside protection is leading a lot of VCs who would have done us an equity round to ask for a convertible note or a safe. Right. Dang. So they're embracing those. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Because I mean, you think if you think about what a valuation cap is, it's a cap, right? But if the next round ends up being lower, it's like a ratchet, right? Well, there's the always like a 15 or 20% discount if it's lower than the cap, right? Like well, you, it, not well, always, but mostly built into safe or convert. Yeah. We're, we're, we're seeing quite a few deals that are just valuation caps and no discount. Sometimes oh, really? you see. Yeah, wow. and, and there was some Carta, Carta data that came out that quite quite a few of the new saves and, and notes that you see are just caps, right? Hmm. But yes, you're right. There's also a combination of you get either the lower of the yeah. cap or 20% discount. But yeah, but yeah. that whole idea of a cap is downside protection for an investor, right? Because it's like the, the, the founder is always focused on the value on the cap. Like that's the valuation I'm getting. A lot of founders who did saves and notes in the past two years are realizing, right? That's we we actually just did that analysis a couple of days ago, and what we found yeah. is there's so much money sitting in safes and converts that's actually going to convert way below the cap. Yeah, but at the time, the founders thought like this was. The, like and by the way, I thought the same. I thought in terms of the cap too, because we were used to a market that was going up at all times. And so, if you're going to raise again, it's going to be above the cap. But I, so I've, I've that's always not told, happening. I've always told founders. I mean, there's this concept called seed equity, right? I mean, a lot of founders when they think of equity, and I have a blog post. It's like myths about seed equity rounds or something like that. There's this idea that like the only way to do an equity round is like to spend 40, 50 K on an NBCA set. And then you pay to spend another 40 on your lawyer. So it's a hundred thousand dollars in legal fees, but there's like a, a slim down set of equity docs mm -hmm. that are, you can get them on, on the Cooley go website and a few yeah. other places. And they're a half to a, a third of the legal cost of a full equity round. And so I, I, for a long time, I've told founders, look, if you're raising more than a million, million and a half, but below that convertibles make sense. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, I were, but the founders who were told and often told by, by accelerators and stuff, yeah, go ahead and raise five or $10 million in the safe. They really should have done an equity round. Right. I know I have my opinions on why, but explain why. Because you avoid this whole day. You, you, by by not doing an equity round, you gave the investor downside protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, an equity yeah. round hardens the valuation. Yeah, right. Whereas if you raise it, if you raise it at this equivalent on a cap, then in a market reset, which is what we're seeing, it's as if the the safe holders are getting the full ratchet of anti-lucian. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, um, because so, so that, say, yeah. just to put some numbers on it, say they raised at a thirty million dollar cap on their safe. But the round comes in at fifteen million pre. Yeah, you just you just gave all those safe holders twice yeah. the you know. Yeah. And then and then the other big so so one big mistake I think is founders raising way too much money on safes and notes at all. Um, I think one of my most read posts is is the one criticizing YC's post money safe, right? And again, you know, I've gotten a lot of flack from lots of places about it, but I also a lot of founders read it. 
and the, and, and so the, the post YC's post, I mean, the original safe, the pre-money safe was pretty company friendly, right? But the post money safe that YC announced three or four years ago was extremely investor favorable, right? And Can you explain a lot, why? Because I, I again have a feeling on this, but it's it basically has egregiously investor friendly anti dilution built into it, right? So normally in an equity round or a pre money note or safe, you you raise the money, right? And any money you raise later dilutes the whole cap table. Yes, that's the thing. Yeah. But the post money safe, and, and it's funny because I mean I have a blog post that sort of like tweaks the post money safe to fix this problem, right? But the, the the original premise that that the post money safe was sold on was the ability to promise a percentage, yeah. right? But like, that like, works against you when you stack. Well, well, no, I mean I, I actually think it's good to have a post money as of today, right? So because what happens a lot of founders will raise so many rounds of safes. And they go to an investor and and get, offer them a valuation cap, but there's no way to calculate what the hell I'm getting today because, yeah. so so the, I, I'm okay with a conceptually a post money valuation cap, but YC sort of snuck in something in addition to that that makes them a lot of money and makes a lot of investors a lot of money is any safe or note round you do after that post money safe doesn't dilute the safe holder at all, right? It's entirely on the common stock. And I think there are companies getting wiped out Well, that's they the, didn't realize that. Yeah, because people don't do like one safe. They do multiple no. safes. And they usually try to drive – they usually try to kind of stair-step up the valuation cap. And so that's yeah, what I call and, stacking and, and, and ironically, YC yeah. was one of the ones that promoted that. They, they used yeah. to call it like high-precision fundraising or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think it's a good way to raise money. I mean you hit some milestones – but it doesn't make sense to do it if like all the earliest investors aren't getting diluted at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Why would you do that? And so I actually, I have a, a post where I, I take YC safe and I add literally a, a sentence. Right. And that one sentence can save you 10% of your cap. Table, oh my God. Right. But the stacking, the safes is yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem and it's, it's coming home to roost a little bit right now. I hadn't thought about the ratchet way of saying that for people to know anti anti-dilution ratchets are basically you have a price round and then you do a deal below that <clears throat> and then the the investors who invest in the previous round the price round gets a ratchet down their their, their yeah i mean that, the vast majority and there's good data on this the vast majority of d of equity deals have what's called broad-based weighted average anti-dilution right which means if only if you do and it only kicks in if you do a down round if it's an up round, anti-dilution doesn't kick in because yeah. why should it, right? A tiny, tiny minority of equity deals will have what's called full ratchet anti-dilution, which means, you know, I mean, because the broad based weighted average, they only get a slight adjustment, right? But a full ratchet anti-dilution basically says your old money is getting the exact same price, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your new money. And so the YC's post money safe is in many ways like you know full ratchet is a ratchet yeah um, I got I hadn't thought about it to that degree I was thinking of it in terms in terms of the discount but you're right it's not even it's worse than the discount the whole thing is getting repriced down right yeah I so, mean if you're below if you're if you're substantially below the cap which is happening with tons yeah, of companies yeah, today yeah, yeah, yeah. and I and I and I'm hoping that out of all of this I think founders are going to be a little bit smarter I mean I a thing I mention often on my blog is this idea that like Founders have been told by certain people, you should just sign the template, 
Don't think about it. I mean, like close as fast as possible. Don't think about it. Don't waste money on legal fees, right? It's like, well, if you had just spent, you know, $500 talking yeah, to a lawyer. Yeah, five right? grand, yeah. You, you, you could have saved millions, right? Yeah. Um, so That's it's, really it's, interesting. Cause you're talking about like, the, the, just go back a little bit, the optionality of a convertible security as, as a convertible debt or safe being like a bridge mechanism for founders and investors in this moment of uncertainty. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. I always think of it, I just think of safes and convertible debts as like the fast, quicker, you know, kind of way. But you're right, that does kind of bridge some of the uncertainty. And does do you feel like it's helping get deals done because because yes. of that optionality Absolutely. both sides? Yeah. And I also have a, a post on milestone valuation caps, right? Which I, I don't see super mm. often, but I think they're pretty helpful because again, the ratchet nature of the safe and, and note is the downside it's downside protection for the investor right yeah but milestone caps are potential upside flexibility for the company so right so let, let's say you're having a conversation with an investor and you're like well we totally are worth this much and the investor's like no you're really worth this much well what if i can commit to hitting a certain milestone in the next yeah. six months mm -hmm. right and if i hit it I get the higher valuation cap. If I don't, I get the one you want. And that's yeah. a great way of sort of like splitting the baby yeah. and you know whatever ha happens. And, and, and that can get a deal closed. Whereas without it, the investor and the founder could not get aligned. Yeah. Right. The only downside to that is something I've seen with some funds that they, once that is introduced, the deal gets completely retraded. So you have to be kind of careful as a founder because then the investor goes, great idea. Let's let's, and then they rejigger everything, and then yes. all of a sudden you've gotten a way it's, worse deal. It's, so you got to be careful content. with that. But read, if, read but the if, room, right? Read yeah, the room. Don't, read the don't, don't, good, don't good offer something that. that could be used against you for sure. Yes, yes, yes. I've seen it used against founders quite a bit. Uh, but but I think you're what, what you're coming from is like, hey, we're close to a deal. And we're just trying to split some of this risk up a little bit and and share some of the upside. So yeah, where, where I'm coming from is like get over this idea that there's like a single standard way of closing a finance. Yeah. yeah, and yeah every yeah. business is unique. Every situation is unique. We're in a unique economy. Like if it takes a little bit of massaging of the terms to get the money in the door, shut up and do it. Yeah, right? yeah. I, mean, I totally yeah. agree. Just get the deal done. Because uh, the point I make to a lot of founders is like you, this is your you're building your dream. You are trying to change the world. And if, if it works, it's going to work out really well for you, but you, but the longer you spend on fundraising and, and arguing over the stuff and not being realistic, maybe you're just not building what you need to build. And so, and, yeah. And, and also don't, don't, over, don't over-optimize just for the valuation, right? Yeah, Which is, yeah. you know, I, I think it's, it's a lot of founders have forgotten that smart money really does exist. I mean, you know, and I, I have, I have a really good post how smart money competes with accelerators, right? And it gets into the sort of like power games that you see in ecosystems and that there, there are certain people in the, in the startup ecosystem that want founders to believe that venture capital is commoditized, mm. that, there's no, that, there's no, that there's no such thing as a value add VC. Yeah. So, guys, as a lawyer who represents zero VCs, <laughs> let me tell you, there are some real value add VCs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that value add VC should be allowed to pay a lower valuation than the random family office that just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a really, really good point. What are so in in both? This is an awesome discussion. So we're I kind of need to be respectful on time here, but so we're already over. But 
you, cause you're rattling through like all these mistakes that people make. Like what, is there like another one that you see that we haven't talked about that you're like, Oh my gosh, if I could just, if I could throw my body in front of some of these people who are about to do X, Y, and Z, I would do it. Like, what do you, what else do you see? I mean, there, there's actually a really good book called founders dilemmas. Um, written by I haven't read that. Noam Wasserman. He's an HBS professor, I think. And it talks about sort of the most common ways that startups die. And the, the number one killer of startups is actually founder conflict. Oh, um, yes. It's a great one. Great one. And so I, I would just say, you know, be as cautious. I mean, the, the number one source of dilution for a founder is not VCs, it's co-founders, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, right? You know, a sole mm-hmm. founder ends up in a way better position cap table wise. And yet, you know, lots of companies can't be formed as a sole founder. You need co-founders, but yeah. be, as, be as cautious with how you're selecting your co-founders as yeah. you would be with your spouse. Yeah. Cause it's a super long-term commitment and you're, you're totally right. I've seen so much like acrimony, emotional energy, people trying to get each other fired. And the boards also kind of know the pattern matching in that when that's happening, odds are the company's not gonna be worth anything. Like oh, it's well, very I mean, hard and, to come and, back and from the that. reality is, I mean, the, the nature of startups themselves, it's, it's a high risk game inherently. Yeah. Right. You should be minimizing any additional risk you're yeah. adding to the situation. Yeah. And, and when VCs detect founders who are not in, and, and you can detect it. Right? And they in, know it. They can see in, it. In a 30 minute so conversation, cool. this hierarchy is not yeah. set. Right. Yeah. It's like there's, it's not going to work. Right. Yeah. Because there's, it's too high stakes, too heated. It will blow up. And they don't want to get have to deal with it either. Forget the forget the financial downside. It's also their emotional and time downsides are humongous too, because they're the ones who sure. have a fiduciary duty to figure this out once they're in the company, and so they're just going to be super careful about what they what where they put their money. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe the hierarchy needs to be set. You know, yeah. it, it's like I mean, yeah, there's there's some there, every company is different. Some companies are more egalitarian. Some companies aren't, but. There has to be like the buck stops here, you know, yeah. and and if you don't have a clear decision making structure, and this is ultimately how we're going to move forward, yeah. you will just get inertia all over the yeah. place. I love it. I love it, dude. Great advice. Well, maybe you can tell everyone. And again, we I think we need, probably need to schedule another one of these because this is really good. But tell everyone where they can find your blog, where they can find Optimal, and how to reach Silicon, out if they want to work with you. SiliconHillsLawyer.com is a great way to just learn about. VC mistakes, how to protect yourself and optimalcounsel.com is, you know, it's, we're, we're a lean boutique law firm from all the same law firms that you always hear about in Silicon Valley and such, but we we're a fully remote firm, very legal technology oriented. And so it allows us to take a lawyer that would be $1,100 an hour and they're 500 and something instead. Yeah. Right. Huge, and, 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 and yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of founders are realizing that those firms they exist for a reason, but until you're Apple or, you know, something like Apple, it's like you, you probably would be better off with a boutique. Yeah. And we're, we see those bills get paid and they're humongous. So I know exactly. And, and, even, and even worse, I mean, that, that fear of the bill will make you not talk to the lawyer. Oh, that's a great point. Which, great which point. will end up having a, a larger bill later. Yes, right? that's a really good point. Yeah. So optimal counsel yes. and then check out SiliconHillsLawyer.com. Okay. And uh, yeah. dude, you're doing great work. It's it's amazing. And this was a super helpful po- podcast. And I think people get a lot of value. So thank you so much. And I think we should schedule another one because you you nailed it. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care, Jose. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to cruise. cruise. Found-
founders and friends with your host, Scotty Ohm. Scotty.